Hello and welcome to episode 148 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we are joined by opponent correspondent Greg Johnstone of Revolution Recap to get us ready for the weekend's game versus the New England Revolution. As always, folks, my name is Jonathan Reimer and joining me this evening, none other than Christopher Sines and Christian Aparicio. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Good evening, Jonathan. How are you doing? Sixth season, another win. We'll talk about that later. What's up, Black and Gold family? Happy to be back for another week of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Yes. Good evening, folks. We are entitling this week's episode Felling Timbers. Because, of course, Cat's already out of the bag. Christian has told you for the very sixth time, we have won our home opener at the bank. In this case, Le Banque. But we have defeated the Portland Timbers 3-2. to two. So, gentlemen, let's go ahead and dive into our game recap. Let's go ahead and start with all the festivities pregame. We had a somewhat modified tailgate with Christmas Tree Lane being closed due to inclement weather, causing it to be, frankly, nothing but a giant pile of mud. And I'm very grateful that we did not go out there on it, because even just trying to traverse around the little sections around the outside that were open, you could see exactly how muddy it was. So smart move by the city to shut that down. Sort of an interesting tailgate where everyone was forced into the small segment of street right in front of the north end, which made it much more familial. Everyone was on top of each other, all the SGs right next to each other. I kind of thought it was a nice way for everyone to sort of co-mingle and interact. We had some fun new merch being dropped at the HQ, and we also had the return of the fields. So gentlemen, before we even entered the stadium, what were your thoughts on simply being back at our hallowed grounds? I'll be frank. I live vicariously through people's Twitter posts. I got there at like 1.15, but I did see the merch drops online and I'm very jealous. Some of that stuff isn't online yet, but um, I'm looking forward to hopefully trying to get into the bank or HQ this next weekend to buy something. But overall, it seemed like the atmosphere was there. Like you said, I think it was condensed in a way where people got to get very familiar on the first home match. And the field's being open again. Like, I missed that place so much the last handful of years. I'm so happy that it made an appearance. I hope it's more frequent. Yeah, again, I, I have to, like, echo what Christian said. I have to live vicariously through everyone else. I was not able to make it out to the pregame festivities. I hardly made it into my seats by 1 o'clock, which, by the way, for all of the LAFC FO people that were saying to be in our seats by 1 o'clock for the ring ceremony, that one o'clock ring ceremony did not go off at one o'clock. It didn't go off until almost one thirty at the start of game time. So I had rushed to get into my seats at one o'clock for nothing. I think, you know, they knew L.A. time one o'clock really meant one thirty. I think for myself, who was involved in the on-field ceremonies, I was there pinning down the crest and got to take everything from a field side perspective. That felt the same way for us as well, too, because we were expecting a one o'clock ring ceremony and then we were told to meet to head down the tunnel at one o'clock. And we're like, well, the ceremony is obviously not starting at one o'clock if we're meeting to head down at one o'clock. So I think everything got pushed back kind of last minute, a half hour, but got to be on the field, got to see the brand new star above our crest up close and personal. We had the ring ceremony on the pitch. Each one of our trophies escorted out to the field. We got to see the legend John McCarthy come out there. We got to see Sujin and Casey bring out the Supporters Shield, our collective ownership group bring out the Western Conference Trophy. And then as just a beautiful icing on the cake, there with the MLS Cup, none other than Max Kripo and the Welsh Dragon, Gareth Bale. Did you guys have any idea Gareth Bale was going to be in the building or was the surprise kept for all of you? I had no idea that he was going to be there, but I anticipated he would be. You know, I don't know where he's been spending a lot of his time. I know that he had just posted on social media during the snow and rainstorm that he was in Big Bear. So I figured that he was in the L.A. area. So I had anticipated that he would be there for receiving his ring. Very well kept secret. No, I didn't know he was in L.A. I think of the three, I'm the one that uses social media the least. So I feel like everything's a surprise to me <laughs> until like game day where I'd log into our Twitter and check things out that way. But yeah, and I was happy to see him. Obviously, you, you can hear the roar 
And, you know, it's not because Max isn't important, but obviously what Gareth Bale did brings so many good memories of that day and seeing him hold the cup was only something that needed to happen that day. It was a beautiful side to see Gareth Bale back at the bank, a legend, albeit for one moment, but a legend nonetheless in the history of this club. We had Jaime Camille do a fantastic rendition of the national anthem. Beautiful, beautiful TIFO from the 3252 encapsulating that moment in which we raised our first cup. I thought it was an absolutely brilliantly executed TIFO. The definition on the jersey, so many of those little details. Hats off to the 3252 for crushing that. Tangential, just for a moment, to remind you all the 3252 memberships for the upcoming season are online and available. You can head over to the 3252 socials and get yourself your membership, which comes with a sweet scarf this year, plus those discounts at HQ. And knowing that you are helping fund both the TIFOs and the community efforts of the 3252, highlighted on last week's episode with Global Diplomatic as we head down to Alajuense, Costa Rica this week, we get ourselves ready for the match. Starting 11s come out. Kind of what we expected from LAFC, J-Mac and goal. We got Ryan Murray, Kalini, and Palacios across the back line. There were some people who felt like Aaron Long was going to get the start over Giorgio Kalini, but uh, I think Kalini earned that start to be there, especially first game of the season, getting a ring, being in front of the fans. I, I you know He ended up being man of the match on the day, so spoiler alert, he certainly played well. And then, of course, we got Ilya Acosta Sifu through the midfield, Opoku Vela and Buanga up top. No surprises there. For the Timbers, pretty much exactly as our friend Sam Spiller predicted, they lined up in their typical 4-2-3-1 with Bingham at the back, Rasmussen, Magrazu, Parich, and Mascara across the back line. The midfield, of course, of Char and Williamson on the defensive end, Loria, Evander, and Moreno with Nis Gota sitting up top. We get into the first half, and it did not take very long for us to have a true reason to celebrate. None other than the Italian stallion himself finds the back of the net. Acosta, beautiful through ball to Denny Buonga that created the corner. I think that goes unheralded, especially as many of the highlights only pick up from the second that the corner goes in. I was really impressed with the offensive work of the front three, especially within that first half. I think they did a lot of really positive work to get us into good positions. This was a great play where they go ahead and earned the corner. I don't know if the corner execution was so great. It was kind of a busted corner. I felt like Acosta put it in a little bit short. Then, of course, Ilya recycles it, gets it back out to Acosta, who on the second bite at the apple, as Max likes to say, put in a beautiful cross that time. Bumbled around a little bit, but finally, Chiellini puts it in across the line, celebrates in a fitting tribute to his past friend, Davide Astori, five years to the day after his tragic passing. He gets his first ever MLS and LAFC goal becomes the fifth oldest player to find the back of the net in the MLS. Gentlemen, what was your reaction to the Giorgio Chiellini goal? I agree with you. that delivery was a little short, but we caused a lot of issues with set plays, you know, so a little foreshadowing there, but like last season, I think that's one of the strengths, at least early on, or at least some of these tight games or when we're maybe our offense is taking a little bit to rev up, creating havoc, having big bodies or big defenders and then our forwards and our wingers creating pressure, I think, helped out. And Kalini pounced, and he hit it with the outside of his right boot. Something I didn't see or think or he can do. He's a great passer, but I've, I've never seen him strike the ball within the six-yard box or in the box. I have seen him rip one outside the box. So I know he has a strong shot, but not a little technique with the outside of the foot within the six-yard box. So kudos to him. And uh, a little bit out of the ordinary, but I'm happy that he got that. And now he's the fifth oldest MLS score which is a great stat for you to pull there jonathan it's one of those things that the match the goal it was not necessarily the prettiest of matches or it wasn't the prettiest of goals either but uh these are the kind of goals that have to be scored in order for us to continue to get wins so i'll take it shortly they are after we have our moment of controversy a bit of controversy in today's game the disallowed goal within the 30th minute once again it's acosta with the corner he finds killini in the box who's getting yanked down from behind by the defender he ends up getting a ball out that gets slammed home by ryan hollingshead but it is whistled off for a foul of Murillo coming in to challenge the header on Chara. 
Gentlemen, I have the question for both of you. We've already heard the broadcast, the MLS 360 show, the MLS nightly recap show. I think it's just MLS recap. I forget the exact name of the show. All saying absolutely not, wasn't a foul. Pro refs give a foul. VAR chooses not to go back and look at it. Boys, was it a foul or did we get a goal disallowed that we deserved? I thought it was a goal, to be honest with you. And I think Jimmy Chara sold like the head being hit of some point, some way when really it was like, I say incidental contact at the very minimum. And the ball was so over his head that he wouldn't have gone to it anyway. And if you expect to not be touched in the box in the corner, I don't know what you're doing in the sport, but uh, good for him in terms of being in LA and learning how to act when being it being bought by the referee. I mean, of course, I thought it was a goal, especially being in the stands. You see the replays and you can't really tell what's going on or why it got called back. And then, uh, you know, you watch the match again when you go home on replay and you listen to all the pundits and give their opinion. And it just reaffirmed that I think that we kind of had a, a goal taken away from us. But uh, it wasn't the first time and it definitely won't be the last time, right? Shambles officiating. This was a terrible call. It was an awful call. And the fact that VAR didn't see enough to go back and have anyone at least take a second look at this, I just find absolutely mind-boggling. If Mario gets that ball and heads it home, it's a good goal. So I have no idea why this is called a foul in the moment. I have no idea why VAR doesn't go back and say, hey, look, you should take another look at this one. There was some questionable officiating throughout this game highlighted in no greater sense than in this one particular moment. An absolutely atrocious call, infuriating. But it didn't take much longer for us to go ahead and double up the lead. 34th minute, Opoku earns a corner. That corner causes a scramble in which... Opoku earns the penalty. Fantastic, fantastic work by Mahala. So many of the pundits throughout the course of this preseason and offseason have been speculating about what in the world is LAFC going to do with their front three with the departure of Chicho Arango. And people have mentioned Mahala as somewhat of a side note to that conversation of, well, he needs to step up. And here he did. Vela gets a chance to go ahead and put in the PK. And with authoritative fashion, calm as you like, finds the back of the net, does a little pokeball celebration, and finds himself his 70th LAFC goal. Gentlemen, what did you think of the work of Mahala and the execution of Vela in securing the pen? Mahala has been hustling all year last year, right? Because of Chicho, he didn't get to see the field. This year, he has the opportunity to stamp himself as a starting 11 player. So I think he took the opportunity to do so. And he is so crafty. The way he put that touch on the ball to get away and get space, it caused the issue where the player had to lunge and put his leg out and took advantage. A little sold it a little bit, but there was definite enough contact to fall anyway. And Vela is Vela. And it's very limited in terms of times that he's missed. And that was well played in terms of how he looked the keeper away. You know, he's Ash Ketchum, at least for the day. Vela, the in the broadcast, they had talked about Vela against Bingham. And I think that there was a stat about how Vela has scored more on Bingham than any other goalie in the MLS. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that has a lot to do with the fact that Bingham had played for the Galaxy for a period of time. But, uh, yeah, it was really good to just see Carlos get on the scorecard again. I think that they had said that he had scored in our openers three of the last four seasons. So just, you know more showers on Vela for all of his accolades. Eight minutes later, we get our second questionable pro refereeing decision of the match. We have a potential red card as McGraw comes in very late and absolutely cleans out not only Denny Buwanga, but cleans out his own player Williamson as well too. A yellow is shown. We pause for a VAR check to go back and look for a potential red card. VAR decides a yellow is the correct adjudication. Gentlemen, did you think it was a red on McCraw? Did you think him cleaning out two players well after the ball was gone, especially given the offensive positioning of the tackle, warranted more than a yellow? Or was that the right call? I think Williamson being there probably helped his case. Like, <laughs> because of so a player so close, right? Probably dangerous enough, but I do think it's a coin flip. So I think once it's called a yellow, it's okay. But I agree with you that, you know, Pro was not having their best day. I guess they're in early season form, but 
they're in early season form, usually all season long. You know, it's always hard to say, especially, you know, coming from my vantage point where it's you're still trying to see what is a foul, isn't a foul, the level of severity on what warrants the possession, a possession kick or an actual yellow or red. And so, you know, my overall assumption and opinion is negligible at this point, really. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Don't call you the best color man in the business for nothing. All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. It was a hard yellow, but it's a clear yellow. I think to give it a red might have been a little soft in that occasion. Boanga was down for a while, though. Certainly looked like he got his knee scraped up pretty bad. He definitely Neymar tumbled for quite a bit there. So it certainly looked ugly, but uh, it wasn't studs up. Caught him below the knee, so I think it would have been a little harsh to give a red there, but I would not have been surprised if a red had happened. We have nine minutes of stoppage time in the first half after all these various delays, which got us enough time for Ilya to grab himself a yellow for a handball. Portland has a really good chance there in the 50th minute with a great long ball from Rasmussen Deloria there, and uh, Palacios, unfortunately, kind of got caught in no man's land there. Were it not for McCarthy stepping up and making a huge save with the shoulder, that probably would have been two to one going into the half. As the ball's coming out, in order to avoid the corner, McCarthy kind of slaps the ball towards the end line. Doesn't unfortunately get enough on it. Uh, This would be the first of a couple obvious poor clearances with the hand from McCarthy in this game. We'll talk more on that later. Did give the Timbers a chance to recycle the ball and get one more shot off. It goes wide. And we go into the half there. Well, Hollingshead picked up another yellow there before we went in. But we go into the half with the two-goal lead. Second half, we come out. And I have to say, my first thing that I noticed at the start of the second half was that there were a lot of empty seats at the stadium. And if you don't mind, gentlemen, I'm going to get tangential here for a moment once again and say, folks, if you buy a ticket and come out to the stadium with the intention of only staying for the first half... Now, my initial thought, I'm like, okay, maybe some people are just, you know, the food lines were long, beverage lines were long. They're just taking a while to get back to their seats. But a lot of those seats never filled again after the first half. And I'm just going to say it. If you bought a ticket to come out and only watch this team for one half, sell your tickets. Don't come back. I hate, hate, hate the perception of LA fans that we leave early and don't want to stay for the whole game. And if that's your way of supporting a team, don't come out to my stadium. All right. I'm off the soapbox. Any thoughts on that, gentlemen? I'm, I'm going to venture to say that if if they're a fan that doesn't stay for the full 90, they're probably not listening to our show. So, so I'm not necessarily sure that what you just said is going to be heard by anybody to change their behavior, but uh, maybe. Touche. That was a, a valid point there, sir. But uh, it makes Jonathan of- feel better, though. He said it and he got it off his chest. That's the point. Did, but I, you know, I agree with you. This, this is our fault, though. Being up, you know, 2-0 at that point, making it look like we're going to dominate. They're probably was like, even if they didn't leave, they're probably drinking their beers in the in the concourse. I mean, like, uh, they don't need our support. So listen to the podcast and, you know, get more passion. Drink your beer in your seat, please. I blame MLS season pass for having such great camera angles. Everybody wanted to go home and... Uh, Rewatch those atrocious pro referee decisions and make up their own mind about it. Perhaps, perhaps that was their intention. Maybe I should, I should let it go just a little. All right. So we start the second half. Vela has two big opportunities and misses there in the 46th and 48th minute. Oh, we got a brilliant cut back to Carlos, who's right there at the doorstep. But unfortunately, his shot finds the defender right in front of him. Another set piece opportunity just two minutes later, right outside the box in perfect Carlos Vela territory. We saw a couple of times today that that left footed curler just isn't quite dialed in yet. So unfortunately, both of those big opportunities go unfinished. 50th minute, Evander tries to test McCarthy from deep. He makes an easy save. But just the power behind the shot of Evander was something that really stood out to me in that moment and something that he quickly learned from later on in this game. But it would take us just two minutes later when Quadwo Mahala Opoku finds the back of the net to go ahead and put us up 3-0. Sifu strips a ball from the defender in the midfield, feeds it to Vela. Vela makes that run down the light, cuts the ball back top of the box to Mahala, who hits a beautiful, perfect shot right inside the post for his eighth LAFC goal. And gentlemen, at that point, I think we all felt it was game over. Once again, Quadwo Mahala Opoku stepping up, having a massive game. 
Uh, he got my vote for man of the match, although I could certainly see why it was given to Killini. But what were your thoughts on Mahala finding the back of the net and us taking the 3-0 lead? And did you think it was game over at that point? That uh, goal by Apoku was actually pretty significant for me. I had I was in the North End at that point in time with my youngest son, Ben. And, uh, you know, it was his first time in the 32-52. And if you go back and watch the replay from the, the TV coverage, you can see me holding Ben up as we're celebrating and he's going over and giving a guy a high five. So that Apoku goal means a lot more to me than it probably means to other people just from the significance of the moment. But uh, I did think that it was going to be a, a big blowout at that point. You know, we had put three up and I didn't really see too many opportunities from Portland that seemed like they were knocking at the door, but it was just a good team effort. And I like what Apoku is doing and how he's pressing and, and making opportunities and chances in the uh, final third. I agree with you, Chris, in terms of the energy he brings to a point where I think Carlos Vela and looking at the replay a couple of times, I think he was trying to slip that ball to Denny Boanga, but Apoku was so eager and making such a, you know, darting run into the box that I was impressed by the way he touched the ball with his right foot and put into his own path to the left foot all in one motion to get that shot off, which was impressive because the way he received the ball was so close to his body because it was not, in my mind, meant for him. I think it was a pullback for Bowanga onto his right foot. Nonetheless, I, th- I agree with you that he deserved that goal. He put in so much work. You know, he created the, the penalty kick and he got this shot and he got it off quickly and forcefully because it wasn't that far away from the keeper, but it was so sudden and so sharp and so well hit that the keeper could do nothing about it. I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you there, Christian. I think, and I saw this attempted a couple times in the game, and that's why it stands out to me. I think with those front three for LAFC, in many cases, what they try and do is they have two players and at, at either side, left and right, and they try and play a ball straight across between the two, and the third attacker makes the run through the pass. And if the pass is perfectly timed, it hits the player making the run through the middle. And if the pass is not perfectly timed, then the backup option is that it goes to the player at the back post. And I saw them attempt this a few times, where there was a direct pass that looked like it's going to one player, but the third player then is running through the pass to try and get on it. And I, I think that's a tactic they've tried to employ a few times throughout the past few years with this sort of helicopter move front three. And I think that's one of the things that really throws other teams off is that they see a pass going to player B and then player C runs in the middle and cuts the pass off and goes in. But I could be wrong. We'll see. I agree with you, though. I definitely think it was supposed to look like that pass was going to Bowanga, but I do think it was intentional that Mahala was there in the middle to potentially cut it off. I'm actually curious, Christian, what, what do you think I, I'm, I'm onto something here or uh, or not? No, I think your observation of the runs is True, but I think in this play, Boanga wasn't going to the second post. I think he was running to like the top of the box in the center of that half circle, waiting for the pass. And but it was kind of put in the path of potentially for a poku. So maybe the same theory applies. I just think the way he awkwardly received it, but still made it look easy, made it seem to me that it wasn't meant for him or Vela saw that it could potentially go to him, but the easier pass or the easier opportunity and setup for a shooter was for Bawanga in that place because he would have just stepped up without having to touch it and just hit it if Alpoku doesn't get it. But that's just how I saw it. Five minutes later, we have our second disallowed gold for Ryan Hollingshead. Vela was offside. It was pretty clear in the buildup to it. But uh, once again, Hollingshead hammered one in. I'm so furious that Hollingshead did not get these two goals. Uh, mostly just because Ryan Hollingshead is on my fantasy team and I lost a lot of points both to pro referee and because of a a correctly called but offside goal. And so I feel bad for Ryan and I feel worse for my fantasy team because I lost out on on two goals there, which would have really helped if my defense had come up with two goals because uh, I'm off to an absolutely terrible start to uh, my MLS fantasy team, mostly because I have no idea how the scoring and rules work and uh, had no intention of doing well at all. But uh, it's still infuriating that Hollingshead did not come up with either one of those goals. Shortly thereafter, in the 59th minute, we have a big change for Portland. Three players off, three players on. Uh, you got Bravo, Paredes, and Maviala that come in, replacing Moreno, Loria, and Rasmussen. And they changed to a back three. They went from their typical 4-2-3-1 into a 3-5-2. 
And this really spelled a lot of problems for LAFC. And I think this is kind of when the pendulum swung back in Portland's direction. And you could see that they were coming out with new ideas that it just didn't look like we were at that point in the season where we had done a lot of training against a back three or against a midfield five. And I could really start to see LAFC getting picked apart at this point. And it didn't take very long after that for Portland to find their first goal. Beautifully executed counterattack. You've got four players charging against LAFC's back line. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant dummy across pulled Hollingshead out of the play. And Evander clearly learned to pick a corner this time. Did not put it right at McCarthy. Fired into the back of the net. It is now 3-1. to one. Gentlemen, you're interesting if you have any observations about the change in formation from Portland and how that affected LAFC's ability to defend these kind of counters. I think you pointed out the the obvious, right? And I think they overwhelmed our midfield three. Three against five is going to be difficult, especially if we haven't seen it and we have some new set of players. And you'll likely touch on this, but that formation change coupled with the LAFC changes in the 65th minute, I think made it even more difficult. Right, Vela and, and Sanchez came out. Buke and Tillman came in. Right, two brand new people to the league in general. European football versus MLS, a little different, a little more chaotic here. And then you know, it's it's different. It's different now in terms of dynamic understanding between who's on the field, and then having five versus three in the midfield. I think caused some of the issues after that goal as well. Yeah, I, I, the other funny thing about that change is uh, Kilini got the armband with both Ilya and Vela coming off. I thought it was fitting that uh, Giorgio went ahead and got himself the armband there. Didn't last very long, just uh, 15 fairly uneventful minutes later. KG match, both teams kind of blocking it up in the midfield. LAFC really stopped trying to play the ball through the midfield at this point when Tillman came on. It was really just long balls over the top at that point to runners. Not really collecting a whole lot, not putting a whole lot of pressure either direction. We were breaking things down in the defense. Defense would try and play it long. We'd turn it over. They'd come back. And that kind of just played itself out for about 15 minutes when Kalini came off. Long came in, being the third player to make his LAFC debut on the day. 84th minute, this is where things got a little dicey. We thought LAFC were just going to be able to see this one out to the 3-1 lead that I believe all three of us predicted a 3-1 victory for the black and gold. Maybe maybe just two of us. Some One of us was wrong. wasn't me. But one of us, one of us did not have that 3-1 prediction. But nonetheless, 84th minute, Portland finds their second goal. It was a corner that was earned maybe somewhat questionably by Bravo. Kind of looked like he cleaned Murray out as he was going in there. But nonetheless, he gets the corner. McCarthy, I kind of have to put this one on him. He comes out to challenge the ball aerially, does not get it, fluffs the ball, does not make it very far outside the box. Portland is quickly able to put the ball into the back corner at the opposite side from where McCarthy is now lying on the floor. They fire at Paredes, finishes it off back of the net. There was an attempted bicycle in there by Moreno as well, too, that would have been a sensational goal had it gone in. But instead, it ended up just being the bicycle assist. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Kellen Acosta tries to chicken wing block it with his hand there. Thankfully, he doesn't attempt to play the ball with his hand off the line there. Avoided a red card for himself because things could have got really dicey then with us down a man and them trying to find that last goal. So I'm happy that Acosta missed it, but a little frustrated that uh, he attempted to make the red card play to stop a goal when we had a two goal lead at that point. That led to kind of uh, a nervy finish towards the game. So as confident as I was as we were up 3-0, all of a sudden it's 3-2 and I was getting a little, little antsy. Did you gentlemen feel the same? Yeah, absolutely. After that second goal went in, it looked like Portland had a fire lit under them and they were pressing and keeping possession, which was not working to the favor of LAFC. And it it was just one of those times where you feel like the the amount of pressure that Portland is putting on, a goal could get put in the back of the net at any point and tie it up. Yeah, I agree. I think the the energy in the stadium shifted, right? You can feel the nervousness not only from the players but from the fans like well we got a ring we got our banner like we're gonna go home with a tie that sucks kind of feeling but i'm glad it wasn't so going back to the corner kick play and i think you alluded to this with mccarthy a couple questionable decisions one was you know just let it go out to a corner in that first half or if you're gonna do something just boot it out really far instead of like slapping it 
to the sideline. Make sure it goes out of bounds. And on this one, I think he had a slight hesitation as well, where if he doesn't have that stutter step or second thought, if he would have come out and committed from the outset, he would have got more of the ball and potentially gotten out further or out of bounds because he didn't do that. It created an opportunity to recycle the ball. That, and I think, and we all know that this is not his strong suit, but I think the distribution, hopefully because Max is out, he's going to get better. I recall that Tyler Miller got better in one of those seasons where there were no real good backups. And over time, he just had to get better. So I'm hoping McCarthy can do that. But his shot-stopping ability is still there. So I, I feel comfortable with him being the temporary number one until Max gets better. We end up seeing the game out to a 3-2 victory. I think we all could not wait for that whistle to come. It did finally come. We saw off a few late corners from Portland. They had an opportunity to go ahead and sneak that point back at the end. Thankfully, the clock ran out before they could find the back of the net. The game comes to a close. We outshoot Portland 15-10 to on the evening. We had five shots on target to their six. Interestingly, they outpossessed us 53 to 47. And in the 80th minute, possession was equal at 50 50. And Portland, pressing for that third goal, had enough of the ball. And we really just didn't have an ability to hold on to the ball much in that final 10 minutes. Once again, our plan really just seemed to just throw it from defense over the top and recycle the play. We weren't hitting anybody with those long balls, and it was giving Portland a chance to recoup and come back. And they were able to fight back enough possession in that last 10 minutes to throw the entire game stat off to a 47-53. As far as chances created, interestingly enough, LAFC only created one clear chance on the day to Portland's three. We did have more corners at 6-5. to five, And even more surprisingly, we had more fouls at 20-14. to 14. And more yellow cards at 3-2 to two to Portland, which is not exactly what you expect to see in a typical match. So, gentlemen, my question for you as we look back on this game is, are you worried about the late goals? Were you worried about the lack of focus that the team showed when they went up 3-0? Or are you okay with them saving that energy with a massive midweek game ahead of us? I'm not, you know, like Christian had said earlier, there was a lot of things going on with this game. You know, the uh, ring ceremony, the banners, this being our first match when everyone else has had a little bit more time to to get a second match in. And I, I do think that there might have been an op- uh, a little bit of lapse of focus by the club. It is uh, It was our first game, maybe a little bit of those preseason jitters and excitement in the moment and things like that. I think that overall the club is going to work those things out in due time. And we just have to kind of ride this wave a little bit. I I think that the club is just going to continue to build from this. I'm glad that we came out and got the W. That really was the most important thing to me. I think that, Jonathan, you had mentioned last episode that teams that win their championship ring, when they do get their rings presented, a lot of times the victory at the end of the day does not necessarily go to them. So I'm glad that we didn't fall in line with that statistic. I think it would have made a shining day a little bit less a takeaway from positive positive takeaways. Uh, so I'm happy. I'm I, overall, you know, we we talked about this last season. Also, you have to win the ugly games too. You can't just always win the pretty games. And so this was definitely a game that it started out looking like a very nice game, but then it ended with a little bit of that nervy finish. But to walk away with three points, it was the most important thing. I'm not necessarily worried. Part of the reason is we created so much offense and a couple of the goals were taken away. Number one. Number two, I think the game shifted when Ilya left the pitch and Vela, right? So with them two off, like one is a defensive stalwart helping out the back line and the other one dangerous offensively. When a team doesn't have those two components to worry about, I think they're going to just gain a little more confidence. And then it, it disrupted our rhythm. And then with Chiellini going out and he was a force back there, just added to the angst at the end. So if, I mean, I understand the calculation. We have a big midweek game where we're going to need these players probably, especially up the spine or offensively. So getting him off and getting him a little bit of rest makes sense. I think the bet was the right bet when you're up three or up two to, to kind of pull them out also. So... All that is to say is at this point in the season, it made sense for, you know, in a playoff push or in a kind of cup game or playoff situation, 
of course, I wouldn't be happy with this and I'd be worried. But at this point, uh, we got the three points. We scored three past the Timbers. Another, you know, season opener at home. One got the banners, got the rings. We all went home happy. I think in the words of Vince LaRosa, to see this in the first game of the season is not a big deal. If we see this 10 or 15 times throughout the next 20 games, then it might be cause for concern. It was great to get the new players in and get them some action. Loved the set-piece offense today. I have some question marks about McCarthy and goal. I thought Palacios didn't have himself the greatest of matches. He had a couple fantastic defensive clearances at the end of the game, but I thought he was uh, pretty uninvolved throughout the first 90 minutes of the game but in that second half stoppage time he really stepped up and had a couple big defensive plays there he just has that ability we know it even well past 120 minutes into a game he can find that little bit of energy still in the tank to be impactful so I thought you know despite the fact that Palacios had kind of a humdrum 90 minutes he really stepped up there in second half stoppage time uh, and put it out I'm, I'm curious gentlemen what you thought on our debutantes I'm talking about Stipe Buke, Het Tillman, and Aaron Long. What did you think of our three new players? Now, obviously, the scoreline wasn't great when they came on, but as far as debuts for the three players, any thoughts? I was most impressed by Stipe Buke. I felt like he was someone who got involved very early and was flying all over the field. I'm really high on him, and I'm hoping to see a lot of development and growth come from him. He's a really exciting young player, and uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see him. Agreed. I think Sipa Buke is probably, other than Rossi, the most uh, potential, right? And that's including Raito. I think Raito always passed the eye test, but something felt weird. Sipa Buke, it doesn't feel weird yet. You know, its sample size is tiny at this point, but just looks more dynamic. I think a little bit more intelligent on the ball, not necessarily as eager where he's thinking too far ahead. So I think once he gets a better understanding of the league, the speed, the players, his teammates, he's going to be a contributor. I think he's going to be pushing for minutes. So I think of the, the front three, who's most likely to give up minutes just because it's Denny and, and Vela is going to be a Poku. So hopefully this pushes a Poku to fight to keep those minutes. Given that Vela was a 60-70 minute player throughout most of the last season, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Vela coming out and, you know, Poku, young guy, he's got energy to burn. I wouldn't be surprised if it's more Vela coming off for, for Stipe and that kind of sliding a Poku into a more central role. Not that there is a defined central role in this offense. Uh, they all tend to move around a lot. Liked what I saw from Stipe. I thought it was a lot of solo effort from him. I think he kind of struggled in his link-up play a little bit. That's to be expected for a brand-new player coming in. There were a couple times where you could see the bench or some of the players on the field barking at him quite demonstratively at moments. There was one that stood out to me in the 78th minute where Acosta looked like he was dressing him down pretty proper for not being in the right place defensively. There were a few times you could see the bench calling out to him to get a bit more involved defensively. Uh, I think we know what this kid brings offensively. I think we're still waiting to see, especially as help was needed in the midfield. I don't think he really acknowledged that he had some responsibilities to try and help control the midfield. And I'd like to see the coaching on that part step up. But he made some great runs. Didn't really get much of a chance to finish. Tillman, we didn't really get much of a chance to see a whole lot from him. He had a couple great moves offensively. Once again, the midfield was just super clogged at this point in the game. We weren't really attempting to play through it at all whatsoever. Aaron Long, as well, for a former defender of the year, didn't really have many opportunities to get involved as well, too. He did have uh, a couple nice clearances. Uh, I really don't think he had anything to do with the goals allowed as well, too. I think we've kind of touched on that. Gentlemen, I guess uh, before we go ahead and head on to our OpCore, I'm, I'm curious, what are your guys' thoughts on the $490 rings that you can go out and purchase or the, I'm sure, significantly more expensive than that versions that were given out to our players. I, I can't recall a team ever giving out a black championship ring. I think they kind of nailed it for style points for me, but curious, gentlemen, what do you think? I like the rings. I think that they look very much unique and they stand out amongst all of the recent rings that have been given for the MLS Cup and for other types of rings in other sports. I think that it is a very LA type of ring to stand out and be unique on its own. The price point for the fan ring, I think that it's kind of on par. I had looked in to see what the 
fan rings would cost for the Rams and for the Dodgers. And, you know, the lowest price for a ring was about $450-$500. So I think that it's on par when you look at what a ring like this is costing in other leagues and things like that. So, I mean, I it was to be expected for myself about that price point, but I know that there's a lot of people that are a little turned off by the price point, but I, you know, I just feel like that's kind of what, what the industry is right now on how to try and make a little bit more money. I think the ring is definitely on brand for the city, for the club. It's beautiful. I like the club and the shield on either side, the big LA with the wing on the top, which is, it's a beautiful ring. In terms of the, the price point, yeah, it's a little tough to swallow or justify <laughs> Uh, unless you love the team and you can make a budget for that. So we'll see if it ever goes on sale, which I doubt. And I don't know if, are they, is there a set amount? Do you guys know? The only question I have that'll make me feel like I need to get it now or let me save up for it. I do feel like that in the press releases, there was verbiage in there that said it was a limited quantities, but it didn't say of how many. So act now, folks, if you want to get yours. I was hoping there would be some alternatives uh, we got some pretty cool alternatives, uh, you know, the dog tags. There's kind of uh, the less ornate version of the ring. I was expecting something at a slightly more modest price point as an option. The ring at 490, the second ring at 480, and the dog tags at 470. We're not really kind of the price banded options that I thought we would get. I thought there would be a very opulent $500 ring. I think that's to be expected. Like you mentioned, Chris, exactly what we saw from the Dodgers and Rams. But I thought there would be something in the two to $300 range as an option as well, too. But there is going to be a pretty sweet ring shirt that has come out that you're going to get a chance to purchase. I believe those have already gone online for sale on the team store, but should be available at HQ for the next game. We know that they've put out uh, some media with the, the new ring shirt on it, which looks pretty cool. And I'm sure all of us can afford that. I think they crushed it as far as the execution on the ring, all of the subtle little details with the diamonds for the minutes and the diamonds for the goals, the Forza Mo on the inside of the shaft is just a perfect perfect piece just shows to me that this team gets it on so many levels i thought the execution on the ring was darn near perfect it's about as good as i think any of us could have asked for on the ring execution itself i'm hoping like the dodgers we get a chance to get one of those free replica ones given out uh you know like a bobblehead i would love a, a plastic version of this that's far more within my price point but um crushed it crushed it on the rings Gentlemen, do we have anything else to touch on before we head to our opponent correspondent and get ready for this weekend's matchup versus the Revolution? I know we have a massive midweek game. Most of our fans down in Costa Rica at the moment. I think just uh, for sake of putting out our pods, we're going to kind of stick to the MLS format. And as we advance in CCL, we will try and do some more pods covering those. But finding information on Alajuente and being uh, able to get an opcore and get you guys prepped for that is just uh, not something we were able to execute for this week. But, uh, gentlemen, any final thoughts before we move on with the show? No. Opcore it is. What you got, New England? Folks, we are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with Greg Johnstone of Revolution Recap. Hi, guys. My name is Jaime Camille, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right. And this week for our opponent correspondent, we have Greg Johnstone, who is from the Revolution Recap. You can follow them at Revolution Recap. Greg, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm very excited to be here. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. Before we get into this weekend's upcoming preview, tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been covering the New England Revolution and how any of our listeners, if they want to take a deeper dive into the New England Revolution, how they can follow some of your content. Yeah, so I do the Revolution Recap podcast. I do that with my co-hosts, Sean Donahue and Tanner Rebello. Sean Donahue has been covering the New England Revolution since he was a teenager back in, I think, 2005. He, he created Revolution Recap as a radio show on local radio. We also had a website called New England Soccer Today, which is now defunct. But we brought back Revolution Recap in 2018. So this will be our sixth year as a podcast in the reboot. And we do podcasts after every game. We also have the occasional interview or special episode. So um, you can subscribe to us on any podcast platform, or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Revolution Recap. 
And uh, also me and Tanner are contributors at the Blazing Musket, which is uh, the reboot of the Bent Musket, which is the SB Nation site for the New England Revolution. So uh, if you're looking just for a uh, website for some revolution news, uh, I recommend go following them at uh, Blazing Musket on Twitter. Perfect. Excellent. So, you know, we don't have a long history of playing the New England Revolution. We haven't played you guys since 2019. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about your squad. In the offseason, there were some departures. Fender John Bell went to St. Louis SC for the expan- via the expansion draft. And midfielder Wilfred Captum, he went to the Segundo Division side Las Palmas, and that was because his option was declined. Talk to us about those players, and, and were there any kind of gaps that were left behind? Yeah, it was a very interesting season because the, re- the Revs were essentially trying to correct some mistakes that they made last year. So the guys that left were really really role players. John Bell was a pretty decent uh, third center back who uh, was taken in the expansion draft by St. Louis. Captain was supposed to be the eight that that was supposed to come in and help the Revs kind of unlock things, but he never really fit. Uh, And then there were a couple of other players, AJ Del Garza, uh, Brad Knighton uh, left due to retirement. Uh, Clement Diop was a backup goalkeeper. He never made an appearance with the revolution. Ismail Tajori Shirati, uh, you guys sent him over to us uh, and he never panned out. He never made an appearance for the revolution due to uh, some injury issues. So uh, no one really that made a, a big impact in 2022. But the guys that the, the Revs did bring in, uh, Latif Blessing, Dave Romney, Bobby Wood, they kind of addressed the deficiencies that were there following 2021. Uh, And you can almost make like-to-like comparisons that Latif Blessing was supposed to be what Sebastian Legette was last year. And Dave Romney was supposed to bring what Omar Gonzalez was supposed to bring. And Bobby Wood is supposed to bring what Josie Althador did. Uh, And those signings, I think a lot of Revs fans feel they were 0 for 3. So this is kind of a redo uh, going into 2023. And so far, uh, these moves have paid off a lot better than the ones made in 2022. You mentioned Latif Blessing. Every LAFC fan by far will say that he is within their top three in terms of their favorite players that has ever worn the black and gold. How did the New England fans react? when they found out that there was the signing of Latif Blessing? Uh, they loved it. Uh, they thought that was an amazing signing. Uh, I think it is exactly what the revolution needed. Looking at the Sebastian Legette trade last year, it just didn't really pan out. He never really gelled with um, Carlos Heel. My favorite Sebastian Legette's that was that he made uh, five assists on nine key passes. Uh, he was very effective when he could get involved in the game, but there were a lot of times he was just missing altogether. And I think Latif Blessing, a lot of people are familiar with him across the league. Uh, they know he's got a high engine. Uh, obviously, I, I don't think I need to tell your listeners about you know his reputation and, and how effective a player he is. So they're kind of hoping he kind of helps support uh, Carlos Heel and creating some havoc in the midfield. Uh, and another thing, too, is that there's another player, Noel Buck, right behind Latif Blessing. I'm getting into kind of some players to look out for, but uh, it's interesting because Noel Buck, I don't think, was a projected starter. Latif Blessing was kind of expected to play along Matt Polster in the midfield. Noel Buck made the uh, team of the week bench uh, in week one. So last week, Bruce Arena got Noel Buck and Latif Blessing on the field. They they played pretty well together last week. It's going to be interesting to see if that's a pairing going forward if the Revs go back to a diamond formation. I would anticipate, you know, just uh, especially in Bruce Arena fashion, he does like to play homage to the players when they return to a place where they once played. I do anticipate us seeing uh, Latif Blessing sighting this upcoming weekend, which I'm sure he will receive a very warm, warm welcome. By far, one of the greatest individuals, you know, he's definitely one of those players that, will really connect with the community in and around any club that he joins. And we wish him by far the best. I mean, he, an amazing, amazing individual. And only one game in uh, to his revolution tenure, but I know a lot of people were very impressed with his debut. So uh, hopefully uh, he's, he's just as loved in New England as he is in LA. Absolutely. Would not expect anything different. Speaking on that recent run of form, right? The way you guys finished last season is definitely not indicative of the way you guys are starting this season. Last year, you were 10th place in the East, 10 wins, 12 ties, 12 losses. And in this year, 2023, this is the fifth season under Bruce Arena. So you guys have already gotten two wins. How do you guys feel so far about your team in 2023 based on the first two matches? I think a lot of people are riding high. I'm trying not to get too ahead of myself because it's Charlotte and Houston. And I don't know if either one of those teams is making the playoffs, but so far when you go two games and you don't concede a goal, I think you got to feel really good. I think a lot of people are feeling great about the acquisition of Dave Romney. There were a lot of questions last year about the center back pairing of Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell. The Revs conceded a ton of penalty kicks. Um, 
and there really hasn't been any upgrades along that back line for a few years now. So bringing in a center back like Dave Romney uh, and pairing him with Henry Kessler, who still has a pretty high ceiling uh, in the opinion of a lot of Revolution fans, uh, I think that pairing is it's looking very, very solid so far. And I think if you ask anyone what the main problem is, it's somewhere along that back line. So I don't think we're getting too excited about the two wins, but the defense looks really, really solid. And that's something that they needed to improve on uh, in the offseason. You know, I think that anyone who has watched the league would be familiar with Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bao since they've been on the Reds for some time. And some might even be more aware of Giacomo. But tell us a little bit about some of these lesser known players, some of these more role players that would be interesting for us to keep an eye on for for this weekend. Well, I already mentioned Noel Buck. He's 17 years old. He's a homegrown player. Uh, apparently Spurs was interested in bringing him in to train with them uh, over the winter that fell through, but still a, a pretty big sign when you're 17 years old and Spurs is calling you, hoping to bring you in for uh, some training uh, there. There's also Dylan Barrero, who I don't know if I classify him as a role player, but that's definitely someone that your, your listeners will be uh, familiar with by the end of this week. He's the revolution's U 22 player. Uh, we interviewed Remy Roy, who's the head of scouting for the revolution last year. And he told us that they scouted Dylan Barrero for four or five years. He's been on their radar forever. And they've been trying to bring him in. A lot of people are comparing him already to Tejon Buchanan and, and how much havoc he wrecks on the wing. He's a, he's going to be playing on the left side, Tejon more uh, of a right winger. Uh, but Dylan Barrero is definitely someone you're going to have to uh, watch and gave Houston a ton of problems last weekend. Uh, and then if you don't know about our goalkeeper, George Petrovic, you will. He's already tied to uh, getting interest in Liverpool, Manchester United. Uh, he, he's a maybe not the favorite for MLS goalkeeper of the year, but he's going to be in the discussion. Uh, a lot of people from New England believe he is already better than Matt Turner, which is saying a ton. Just an incredible goalkeeper, an incredible talent. Everyone expects him to leave either at the end of the season or in the summer. Uh, so enjoy watching him. Uh, the one time he, he makes his way out to L.A. Uh, and, and hopefully you guys you guys won't have to see him uh, play LAFC too, too much. But uh, he, he's got a really, really high ceiling and you're, you're going to be impressed with him. I, I guarantee it. You know, it's really exciting when there are players like that that do come and, and you get to see them play, whether it just be for the one time. You know, I remember when Alfonso Davies came and played against LAFC when he was playing for the Whitecaps. And, uh, you know, and, and then and then there next thing you know, he's in is in Byron. And so it's, you know, if, if there are players, it's exciting to have these players where you know that there is interest in other leagues. And, you know, it's like, hey, I may never get a chance to see this player ever again. So it, it, those are those are the exciting ones. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned those players. Talk to us a little bit about the expected 11 with the versatility and, and some of these younger players that look look to be stepping up. What would you anticipate would be this expected 11 for uh, facing us this Sunday? So it's, it's going to be interesting. And short answer is we don't really know what Bruce Arena is thinking. And it's a very complicated question because there are some injuries. Andrew Farrell has missed the first two games. He was a starting center back last year. He, he kind of looks to be the third center back. I wouldn't expect to see him this weekend, considering how good the defense is playing. There's also Nacho Hill, which is Carlos Hill's brother, uh, who, who is a uh, backup right winger. He's probably going to be out. Tommy McNamara is a central midfielder who got a lot of mitts last year. He hasn't played in the first two games. All of them all do out due to leg injuries. Uh, there's also uh, Gustavo Bo, one of our designated players. Uh, he's reported to camp late. There was a green card issue. He played 60 minutes with Rebs too. Uh, last weekend. So we don't know if he's going to be at full fitness. He's a big question mark. So with all that being said, uh, there's a lot of question marks around this lineup, but I wouldn't expect to see too many changes from last week. You're going to see Petrovic and goal, a backline of Brandon by Henry Kessler, Dave Romney, and Dewan Jones. That's probably going to be the for sure back line, as long as there's no injuries long there. And then I'd expect to see a diamond formation, similar to what they played last week, Matt Polster in defensive midfield, Latif Blessing and Noel Buck uh, in the central midfield, Carlos Hill kind of in the attacking mid, uh, midfield role. And then Dylan Barrero lined up as a forward, but he's going to be kind of be playing more as a left winger. And then up top, it's a real question mark because Giacomo Vrioni is our other designated player. He was uh, started last game on the bench for Bobby Wood, who played very well. And a lot of people were really surprised to see that two games into the season. But Brioni has not shown the revolution a ton. And a lot of people were impressed with Bobby Wood. Uh, that's another acquisition the Revs made. Obviously, Bruce Arena is familiar with Bobby Wood from his time with the uh, national team. So uh, I think we're going to see... If not the same exact lineup, maybe Vrioni over Wood, uh, but I don't expect to see too many changes from last week's uh, formation against Houston. 
So we've mentioned it a couple of times. There is very limited amount of opportunities that LAC has played the New England Revolution two times all-time record. Uh, in 2018, there was a 1-1 tie at home at the Bank of California Stadium. And in 2019, there was a 2-0 victory in Foxborough. What are your expectations coming into this match on Sunday? Well, I, truth be told, I, I'm curious to see what LAFC does with their Champions League game. Uh, and not that I expect that to be too much of a challenge for you guys, uh, I, but I, I don't know if the I remember doing Champions League last year with the Revolution and they played kind of a rotation lineup uh, in between Champions League games against Pumas. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we get kind of a B team from uh, LAFC. And I think that makes it more of a manageable game for uh, for us. Uh, but if we're assuming full strength squads, I think the Revolution are for sure the underdog. Um, I, I would love to take a point out of this game. It's certainly a very difficult uh, environment. Going coast to coast, by far, LAFC is going to be the best uh, challenge of this team so far. Uh, and again, the Revs aren't 100% right now. So uh, I would say best case scenario for the Revolution, I'd take a 1-1 draw or something along those lines. Realistically, what I'm kind of expecting, I'm expecting a one nothing or 2 nothing win for LAFC. I expect the Revs to play really slow. Uh, I expect them to play really tight defensively. Uh, and the Revs haven't conceded this season, so uh, I, I think the Revs are going to Really hope that their defense kind of holds strong, but I think LAFC has too much firepower and they'll eventually crack that back line. All right, last question to round it out. How are you feeling about New England for the 2023 season? Do you feel like they are going to be able to fix what was wrong last season and make it into the playoffs and potentially make a run for it? I do. I, I think though this is a playoff team. Uh, I think there is a lot of depth on the squad, and I think there's a lot of young talent. I've already mentioned um, Noel Buck. There's also another player that the Revs signed out of uh, Georgetown and their academy, uh, Jack Penayotu, uh, who is rave reviews so far uh, in preseason. He was expected to be, some people expected him to start uh, the season opener, uh, but he's come down with an illness, so he's missed the first two weeks. Uh, and then there's another uh, young player, Esmir Baktarovic, who is uh, a potential United States uh you know, in the United States youth pool, uh, he's already drawing European interest. So uh, there are some youngsters that could break out mid-season and, and add another offensive weapon to this team. Um, but it's really going to come down to what they get from their three designated players. Obviously, there's Carlos Heal, and he's very reliable. But Gustavo Bo, um, you know, he's a big question mark. His contract's up at the end of the year. There's always rumors of him wanting to go back to Argentina. Uh, so it's not clear what they're going to get from him after injuries plagued him last year. And then Giacomo Vrioni, he won the Aus Austrian Golden Boot. Uh, before the revolution acquired him. Um, but so far, his transition to MLS has been a little slow. So if the Revs don't get production from their designated players, uh, I'm, I'm thinking this is going to be a around the playoff line. Um, but if everything kind of comes together, if they can get some production of their DPs and if their depth can kind of fill in the gaps, um, this, this team could be a two to four seed in the East, all, all things going right. Perfect. Well, again, thank you very much for coming on our show. Again, our opponent correspondent for this week has been Greg Johnstone, and he is from the Revolution Recap, and you can follow them at Revolution Recap on social media. Again, thank you very much, Greg, for coming on, and we look forward to having you on as a, on as a guest on the show again. All right. My pleasure. Thank you. And we will be right back with the last segment of our show. Hi, everybody. It's Max Prados, and you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, second to none, bringing you the LAFC gospel. All right, gentlemen, we have a massive, massive midweek game, but we also have a big game coming up this weekend versus the 2021 Supporters Shield champion, New England Revolution. We know they had a bit of a down year by their standards last year, but this is a team that always seems to play us well and a team that I think we cannot overlook. So, gentlemen, what do you think are going to be the tactical keys to the game, and what is your prediction and scoreline for the weekend's fixture? I think that Greg had made a good point when he brought up what was the lineup going to look like that LAC was going to put out on Sunday. Are they going to have it potentially be a little bit of a rotational game against New England because they're trying to go out full force? in Costa Rica or is there a semblance of a what would be looked like a normal 11 for LAFC I think that that's going to be the indicative case as to what to expect if LAFC were to come out and put their top 11 I think that LAFC is going to do very well and it won't be that close of a match if LAFC were to come out and have some rotational players and potentially have key players being rotated out 
I think that it could be a little bit of a closer game. But at the end of the day, I think that LAFC is going to walk away with three points again. I think New England's fortunate that they get the sandwich game between Champions League. So I agree with Chris. It'll be rotation. And I think it's going to be a draw, to be honest with you. And maybe a 2-2 of some sorts. I don't think our defense or midfield is going to be as strong just because the following week we're going to have a home match in CCL too. It's not just a trip down to Costa Rica, right? So so that's my prediction. I, I don't think we'll lose to the team, to New England, but I do think that there will be some defensive lapses. I think our offense will still be strong even with the bench contributions, but I just I don't, I don't see us being able to have a strong, cohesive 90 minutes defensively. Unfortunately, guys, I got to disagree with you. I, I think this one's a loss for LAFC. I think the rotation is going to be heavy. I think the legs are going to be tired. Not only do we have a midweek match, but we have a significant amount of travel in between as well, too. Travel, you know, does murder on the body for athletes. The legs swell. You know, it, it takes that recuperation time a little longer. I think that match down in Alajuense is going to prove to be a difficult match. I, I do think we get the win down there. I think we're the stronger team. But I think a lot of it really depends on how much we have to use that starting 11 midweek. If it's like this last game where we storm out to a three-goal lead and we get a chance to put a lot of subs in early on and see the game out, that could potentially spell a completely different story for the weekend's game. But if it is as I anticipate that we're going to have to scrap to get those away goals down there, and I expect a team to be bunkered in and trying to hit us on the counter, and I expect it's going to take a lot of effort for us to try and pick them apart in Costa Rica, then I think that spells a very difficult game for us on the weekend. I don't think in the grand scheme of things, getting three points from this particular match matters a whole lot. It's not against a conference rival. I, I think these games versus the East are games that you can throw an incredibly rotated squad out there. I would not be surprised if we see some of those LAFC two players come up and some of the kids get a chance here. I think, you know, at the end of the day, the one thing we might be saying about this game is at least we got to see Latif Blessing back at the bank, which is something I know we're all looking forward to. I hope he gets his ring. I hope he gets just a thunderous, thunderous chorus of applause from everyone at the stadium when he shows up there. We love you, Latif. You will always be beloved in this town, no matter what jersey you're wearing. Well, barring one that I hope you never wear. But aside from that, you will always get thunderous applause here in this stadium. So it'll be great to welcome Latif back. I am a little bit worried about, you know, folks like Gustavo Bo, Carlos Heel. I mean, these are some really, really talented players. I think LAFC are the champs. And we have that target on our back for every single game. And every team is going to use the opportunity, especially when we are a tired team with a midweek match, to come in and prove something against us. We are going to get the best from every team week in and week out this season. One of the things that makes it so much more difficult to repeat as a champion in this league, we won the double last year. Teams are circling this game on their calendar as a game they want to win to prove to their fans they can beat the best of the MLS. So I, I, I'm worried that we're going to see the best of the revs and we are not going to be able to put our best out. And I wouldn't be surprised if we lose this game 2-1, 3-2. But I also wouldn't really care as long as we make it through this week injury-free. I will be a happy camper. But uh, sorry to be Debbie Downer at the end of the show. I just, the realist in me says that this game doesn't matter enough for us to worry about giving those points away. Boo that man. Boo that man who puts bad wishes on our club. Boo that man. Sorry. You know, look, <laughs> I, I want LAFC to win. I'll be cheering no, for no. LAFC it's, to win. You know what it is? There's a lot of talk there. You know, again, we, we talked about the uh, amount of matches that LAFC is participating in potentially should they go through to the finals in all uh, competitions. And it's north of 50 in, in a single season. And that's that's just a lot. So, you know, again, I think that we all would like to see the Conca champions have a little bit more of our focus, especially when it comes to an Eastern Conference team that is not really going to be relevant in terms of anything other than the supporter shield race, it's not going to be influential on whether or not we have home field advantage. And so, especially being so early on in the season, it very well could be a match where you just are overlook, you look past the New England Revolution for the next opportunity next week to play Alajuense uh, at home. I'll take your loss if we get two wins in CCL. So, 
Yeah, I, look, I, this game's irrelevant, really. I don't think LAFC is a team that wants to fight for the Shield this year. I don't think we have a deep enough squad at the moment. Now, I'm sure we'll get additions later on this season. We're all confident of that. But certainly at this moment, I would love to see this be a game that all the kids get to play. Put the Duenases, the Leones, the Torreses of the world out there. I would love for them to go out and, and prove themselves in this game. And if we do come away with a win versus the Revs, I think it's going to be some of those unsung heroes that step up and have a massive game for us. And if that's the case, fantastic. And we go out there on the backs of our U22s and and they're the ones who go out and win this game for us. That'd be fantastic to see. But I really think that's the starting 11 we're going to get this weekend. And I'm perfectly fine with that. And if this game plays out as more of a developmental experience than a game that we really care about the points in, also absolutely fine with that. Gentlemen, any final thoughts before we go ahead and wrap up episode number 148? No other thoughts. Only if we lose, I hope Latif scores. Amen. Just everyone have fun in uh, Costa Rica. Be safe. Have safe travels back. And hopefully you guys are uh, making plans to come back for the Sunday match because I think that we all want to say hello and welcome back to Latif. I think that all fans were looking at their calendars and making sure that their flights back from Costa Rica did not conflict with them being able to be at the match on Sunday. Pura vida. Amen. Dale Black and Gold. I hope we come back with three points and... uh Wow, do they even count as points in the first half of I hope we come back with some away goals and a win south of the border and we get ourselves a good chance at three points this weekend with a well-rotated squad. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. On behalf of myself, Jonathan, Chris, Christian, sound engineer, Wilson, and all of us here at Shoulder to Shoulder, we thank you so much for listening. Take us home, sticks.